Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So before I get started today, um, I want to uh, just give a little bit of credit here. Uh, this series, and, and, and particularly in today's talk, uh, I, we were inspired by some stuff Andy Stanley did, so we want to give him credit. We're borrowing some of his ideas from a couple messages for today's message today. And we've been talking about this already because what we've been talking about is Americans are jumping the fence, moving away from Christianity at an unprecedented rate, according to the Pew Research. That's gone on recently. As we begin our Other Side of the Fence series, I think we, we want to deal with one question in particular through this series. And that's this. What if people who are jumping the fence away from Christianity are doing it for some very good reasons? What if some of the fences that are jumping are fences that every follower of Jesus should jump over or even maybe remove all together? Because we all have fences around our beliefs. We all have things that separate us and define us, what we're for, what we're against, all that kind of stuff. Between 2007 and 2014, Americans who checked the box, none, when asked what their religious affiliation was, went from 16% to 23% in the American population. That's like, just, just imagine this, that's like 75 Columbus metro areas full of people who say, I no longer have a religious affiliation in America today. There are millions of others who are beginning to find church involvement less of a priority as well. And often the questions being asked are, why do I need God in my practical life? Why, why do I need church or institutionalized religion? Why do I even need to believe in God? I mean, I, I don't have to believe in my family. They're just there to say I need to believe in my family. Well, that's kind of weird. I just know them. Shouldn't the same be true of God? So many people are moving away from Christianity and religion through decreasing attendance patterns or through just jumping the fence and leaving religion behind altogether. But, but, but here's, here's the reality. When we move away from something, we also move towards something, don't we? We may not consciously decide what we're moving toward when we move away from something and, and too often not knowing what we're moving toward actually in our lives brings unintended, unintended consequences. If you are moving away from God and God and religion, you may not believe this yet, but you are moving toward atheism. Now, most of the nuns would not identify themselves as atheists in our world today, but it is logical that the direction of their movement is in that direction. So as we introduce the series today, I want to just spend a very, very quick moment Taking a look at what the leading atheist intellectuals in our world today say the consequences are, the end result is for that movement away from God. And I'm going to use their ideas to summarize it from Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and Sam Harris. Uh, we're not going to get all heady in the weeds of this today. I'm just going to quickly summarize the six things they say you're moving towards, and I'm going to do it in two sets of three and just kind of briefly illustrate what that means practically for us because I think you'll see at least in some of the statements I'm going to make in just a second how our world, even if we don't believe this, is actually beginning to believe this without knowing it. 
If you want to go deeper in all that philosophy, you can read those guys later on your own. Now, when you move away from religion, you're moving towards belief in, they say, the illusion of the mind, the illusion of the free will, and the illusion of value. And here's what that means practically to us. If you move away from God, then what you're saying is there is nothing in you or in this world other than physics, biology, and chemistry. And if there's merely biology and chemistry, then the reality is that you never actually really choose anything in life. Anything you or I do is predetermined by the chemical and biological reactions of our being. That means, for example, if you had an affair with someone, you really had no choice in the matter. That action was simply an uncontrollable biological and chemical attraction. There is no such thing as you having the will or the ability to think or decide independently. Now, these are not my ideas. These are the leading atheists saying this is what reality is when you move that direction. It is just an illusion. Everything is just simple biological and chemical reaction. Which also means, if that's true, that you are no more valuable than a hunk of the hunk of molecules you are sitting on right now or the fly you swatted earlier or that bee that everybody wants to swat that you see flying around in the window, the, the mirrors up here or the, the lights up here or the, or the hunk of metal in your pocket, right? So if there is no free will and you have no value greater than anything else because you are just a massive molecule, there, there can also not be any real justice in this world because your wants are no more valuable than the terrorists once or the serial killers once, and who's to say what justice is? Now, here's how you might hear that belief expressed even more readily in your normal conversation every day. In fact, you may have said this or heard somebody say this already. You hear people say, I have my truth, and you have your truth, and that's okay. Now, if atheism is true, then that statement is also true, is what all these guys are saying. The problem is that isn't really okay with you to have your truth and for me to have my truth. Because when it comes to justice, we want the other person to be held accountable to my truth of what justice is. See, when you move away from God, even if you don't buy into these unsettling truths, this is the direction you are moving in your faith. There are three other things that these guys will say that are equally unsettling, I think, in, in, in our beliefs that happen when you move away from God. It's this, the belief that something came from nothing, the belief that the first life emerged from no life with no help, and that natural selection is responsible for all life after the first life. So natural selection naturally leads us to the justification that the superior being, the one who is biologically stronger, faster, smarter, is justified in its exercise of power no matter what that power looks like. And history actually shows us that this, it was this kind of intellectual backdrop that drove the people who drove the World War II Holocaust and Stalin's, Stalin's purges during that same time, killing tens of millions of people in the world. Dawkins, in his God Delusion book, draws a conclusion to what all of this means. And I'm going to read it for you in a second, but you might first, at first think he's, he's making fun of his position, but he's actually deadly serious. Dawkins writes, On one planet, Earth, and possibly only one planet in the entire universe, 
Molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock gather themselves together into chunks of rock size and matter of such staggering complexity that they are capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, hearing, capturing, and eating other such animated chunks of complexity. Capable in some cases of thinking and feeling and falling in love with yet other chunks of complex matter. So, imagine that pillow talk. I love you, you beautiful chunk of complex matter. I mean, that, that, that's, that's romantic, right? That, that's, that's just an amazingly wonderful idea, isn't it? Here's the deal. Most of the people moving away from God who call themselves nuns are not attracted to atheism, even though that's the direction they're moving. Because atheism is as equally unsettling as their faith experience of God that they've rejected was. It's like taking a multiple choice test that says, do you believe in A, a Christian God, B, Islam's God, C, Hinduism, or D, atheism? And as you read the question, you say, I used to answer A, but now, frankly, I don't want to choose any of them. And often, in general, you don't want to even think about it and decide. See, most are caught in this undefined no-man zone. There has to be something different, a, a different way, a different path, a different direction to move. And the reality is people are moving away from church and faith. They aren't doing so because atheism is drawing them. They're moving away because of more personal reasons. And when I listen to people share their stories of why they moved away from church or faith or, 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 or read stories like this, their, their stories have several things in common. Uh, the person usually grew up uh, in a religious environment, experienced some sort of childhood or early adult conversion, and then, and then it takes one of two general paths from there. One path is they went to college or work in an irreligious environment, out on their own with new friends, fewer restrictions, and frankly... They liked a lot about that. There was a lot they liked. And then they begin to ask adult questions of their childhood faith, and the responses they get to those questions are inadequate. Path two is life brought about a faith-challenging, painful event. So they started asking adult questions of their childhood faith, and the responses they got didn't not only not soothe the pain. In fact, sometimes the responses they got made the pain worse for them. Or the responses just didn't add up to make sense of reality in any kind of orienting way. Maybe it was a combination of both of those if you've found yourself at times distancing yourself from God, putting up walls, or maybe even walking away from your faith. See, if you grew up in church or around church people, you grew up in a version of Christianity. Now, there are many versions of Christianity, and, and frankly, that's not surprising at all, and it really is, it shouldn't be troubling to us. I mean, if there is a God who created all that exists, all of us are going to be on a lifelong journey of trying to understand God, and we're never, ever going to fully arrive. And all of us, in some way, will be at a different place in our understanding of Him in that journey. So different versions doesn't indicate anything false or bad or even necessarily disconcerting. Some of you grew up conservative, others liberal. Some of you grew up evangelical, others of you Catholic. Some of you grew up fundamentalist, others of you, in, you know, charismatic. Some of you grew up in a much more legalistic type of an environment, and some of you grew up with more relaxed 
expectations, but the version of Christianity you grew up in or around is part of you. And more than likely, if you stepped away from your faith or you put some walls up between you and God, what you stepped away from is your version of Christianity. But what if the problem in your faith and our faith is your version? What if the problem is not Jesus, it's not God, maybe not even the church or religion in general? To use Andy Stanley's wording, every version of stepping away from faith in Jesus is driven by one of two things. It's driven by a somebody told me so God or a Bible tells me so Jesus. So somebody told you this is who God is and this is what God is like from very early in your life. And, and some of it good, some of it not fully accurate. And if you stepped away from your faith or church, that version is what you're stepping away from. And maybe every time you asked a question, someone said, well, the Bible teaches, and then they fill in the blank. But as you grew up, that problem was that your experience didn't reconcile fully with that Bible told me so Jesus that you were told was true, and you stepped away from that. Now, I believe that the Bible is a reliable guide from God for our lives, but I'm not so sure we always use the Bible in reliable ways. See, we're going to deal with the Bible told me so Jesus next week. Today, the rest of the day, we're going to take a brief look at some of the somebody told me so God reasons people jump the fence and move away from their faith. And what I'm going to propose to you for your consideration in this is that if these somebody told you so gods are what you moved away from, you're right in doing so. Some of these somebody-told-you-so-gods are a result of trying to teach faith to children who think only on a concrete level. And, and they're simple enough for them to begin to understand to know God, but they're not fully developed enough to deal with life as it really is. Some of you never grew up from your childhood faith into a mature adult faith, and, and that may not be because you didn't want to or didn't try to. It actually may be because churches and pastors like me all too often try to work so hard to make things simple and clear that we ignorantly or unintentionally reinforce adult questions with childlike answers. So if that's been your experience, please accept my apology on behalf of people like me and the church for doing that and leaving you in that place. Maybe you can relate to Karen Armstrong's uh, statement in this regard. She's a former Catholic nun this time, the one who wore the full black habit and all that stuff, who as an adult actually jumped the fence and checked the I have nun box when it came to religious affiliation and joined America's many nuns. She writes in her book, The Case for God, and saying this, Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time we were told about Santa Claus, but while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied he existed. So here are some of the gods, little g, that maybe many of us grew up thinking were what it meant to be 
a Christian that have caused many people to jump the fence or move away from God in some way, putting up walls. Likely some of us here who continue to follow Jesus actually still subscribe to these beliefs and they affect you by you simply having a little bit of distance or just a little bit of a wall in one area of your life, even though you still really believe and are pursuing God. There's just this wall somewhere. The first is, let's call it the bodyguard God. Maybe you were taught as a child that God cares for you, which he does. The Bible is full of promises about how God cares for us and protects us. But, but what bodyguard God translates into for so many people is that God doesn't allow bad things to happen to you. And bad things did happen to you. So you, like many very intelligent people, began to distance yourself from God and religion, maybe even walk away because of the pain and suffering in the world. See, the problem is bodyguard God often translates in our minds to reducing God to these simple propositions. That a good God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And therefore, logically, if bad things never happen to good people, that is proof of God. Now, we probably wouldn't argue that point, but we do argue that same point in another way. We say it this way. Because bad things happen to good people, God isn't good or, and doesn't care or God doesn't exist. See, bodyguard God isn't Christian. It's not what Jesus taught. Jesus explicitly says to his followers in many places, you can go home and read Matthew 25 for one of those places, even though you follow me in this broken world as we know it, he says, you can come and expect to be persecuted. You can expect people to hate you. You can still expect famine and earthquake, war and disease to be a part of the reality we live in today. And Jesus warns us about those realities that we will face. Jesus even says, if you love me, you will be like me and you will take up your cross and follow me, which most simply means, in other words, you'll be willing to get close enough to people and stay faithfully close enough to people that you're willing to put up with the pain that relationships and this world often brings in the difficulty of life so that you can remain faithful and love them in a way that maybe they can experience his salvation and some of his healing in their life. See, if it were true that a good God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And conversely, if bad things happen, then God is either not good or not real. Christianity would never have made it past the first few decades of its existence, with so many of the disciples of Jesus being persecuted, imprisoned, and killed, and so many horrible things happening. Bodyguard God is not a Christian belief. That God, if you rejected it, good, because that God doesn't exist. All too frequently, we also believe in on-demand God. I mean, who, do, who of us doesn't wish God would respond to what we need when we want it, just the way we want it, right? We oftentimes pray things like, God, I'm asking you to do blank, and oh God, what a, what a testimony it would be if you would just do it the way I want, right? But you asked for a sign or a miracle, and it didn't happen. You wanted that answer, that job, that way out of a difficult situation, or you wanted that way into what you sure would, you were sure would fulfill the dream of your life and you didn't get it. On demand God doesn't exist either. 
You see, God's under no obligation to respond to you when you want if you just push the right buttons and say the right things. And yet, isn't that the way we often treat the Bible and approach the Bible on faith? If we can just get it right, if we can just say the right things, if we can just always think the right things, if we can just do the right things, then God will on demand do what we want. Frankly, I'm really glad on demand God doesn't exist because if that God existed, I wouldn't be married to Wendy today. I'd be married to a girl whose dream was to live with her mom in Alaska and stockpile McDonald's hamburgers in the chest freezer when they're three for a buck and live off them for three months at a shot. And that just doesn't sound exciting to me. I'm so glad I'm married to you. Some of you, your lives would be very, yeah, you can clap for her. That's awesome. You like seeing the red over there going on right now? She's just sitting like, oh, is the tent. Some of you, your lives would be very different, wouldn't they be? Your lives would be very different and not in a good way if on-demand God existed. If you walked away from your faith in your church because of disappointment with an on-demand God, then good. You walked away from a God that doesn't exist. For others, you distance yourself from God or church belief because of, let's just call it, boyfriend or girlfriend God. This is the God whose tingly, loving, heartthrob, lovey-dovey presence needs to always be felt. And since God is always present everywhere, we should feel those awesome camp experiences, those awesome worship and prophetic prayer moments where God just becomes so intimate. That should be our norm. And yet you pray and you listen to worship music and you sing to God and you come to church and you stand next to the person who's ecstatically raising their hands, who's always talking about how they feel God's presence and, and you, don't, you don't feel it. But God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So since, since you don't feel it, he must not be present, right? Or, or he must be disappointed in you. You must, you must not be loving enough, attentive enough, or doing the right things enough. Who told you that was who God is? And that's how we experience Him. Can, can I just point out something, kind of a practical illustration, that we all know is true? If you walk into a room and the temperature is perfect, I mean, you're, you're completely comfortable, not too cold, not too hot, how often do you stop and say, isn't the temperature perfect in here? Not very often, right? How many times do you wake up in the morning and say, I feel like an American, or I feel like an Ottoman, or I feel like a Simonetta, or whatever your name is? How often do you wake up and say that? Have you ever? If you have, I want to know. That would be really funny. But that doesn't mean the temperature isn't right. That doesn't mean you aren't an American or an Ottoman or whatever your name is just because you don't feel it. See, what is most present all the time is often not as noticeable as other things, is it? When you read the biographies of the great Christians like Mother Teresa or the Old Testament like King David or, or Martin Luther or many, many others, they went months, sometimes years, without those kinds of powerful, emotive God experiences. Yet none of us would question with any seriousness whether God was with them, would we? I absolutely Love those powerful, emotive God moment experiences. I think God does them for us at various times in various ways and sometimes greater or lesser frequency with us in our life. But, but here's been my experience the last several times. I have 
prayed for people and something miraculous happened. Something, somebody got healed or God gave a word that I couldn't have known without him speaking it and, and God showed up to them in a really powerful moment. You know what I felt? Nothing out of the normal. I felt like I feel now. I feel, felt like I feel when I'm eating breakfast. And yet God was there in that moment. If you jumped the fence to reject and get away from the emotional pressure of a boyfriend or girlfriend God, then good. You did the right thing. Because that's not an adequate framework for understanding how real God is and present God is. There's another God we tend to struggle with uh, and reject as well, and that's the guilt God. For some of you, you grew up like Wendy in a, a church that laid guilt on thick and regularly, right? You, you may remember her story when she's told in the past, repenting every night, getting resaved every night, because in her ultra-conservative Lutheran church upbringing, if you sinned, you either lost your salvation or you were never saved in the first place, right? Or, or you may have grown up a, a, a Catholic in the Catholic tradition, like a lot of my Catholic friends who are followers of Jesus, where you were told if you sinned and died after your last confession, you would either go to hell or at the very least you'd be stuck in purgatory for a lot longer, right? Unless you got to confession quickly. So a bunch of my Catholic friends, before they rejected guilt God and, and found the real Jesus, used to actually plan to party like crazy the night before they went to confession. That way the window of their risk for hell or extra time purgatory was really, really short. They got the bust of both worlds, they used to say, that way. Or maybe you grew up in a church that sent a message to you that if it's fun or good, don't do it. If it's sexual, then absolutely not. For sure not. I mean, God may love you, but he doesn't like you all that much. So he created all these fun, beautiful things to tempt you, but don't do them. And you lived with constant guilt, maybe even still live with constant guilt in your life. So, of course, after a while, the only way to get away from guilt is sometimes to jump the fence. I find it really interesting. They don't actually draw the correlation in the study, but I just find this really interesting. The Pew study noted that during the same time period in which we saw a 7 percentage point increase in the number of people who checked the box, none, claiming no religious affiliation, we also saw a 7 percentage point increase in the number of people who felt like they had a deep sense of spiritual peace in their life. Well, to me, it's like, go figure, a lot more people jump the fence away from rejecting this guilt God and the peace quotient goes up, right? You'd kind of expect that. See, this is the reason I talk a lot about the conviction of the Holy Spirit in this way, as being convinced. Convictions are things we are convinced about, about what is right and best and good of coming to a place where you were motivated to make a decision to pursue an ideal, something that you and God really want, leaving something far inferior in the past. But too often the church has turned the conviction word into a nasty guilt God word. Certainly conviction has this legal element to it. Even in the Bible it has this idea of being convicted for wrongdoing. And there is that connotation in the Bible. But the greater concept, the greater emphasis in the Bible, the greater concept that mirrors the very heart and approach of God to us is this positive sense of conviction of God helping us to grow to become convinced and motivated. Paul reminds us of this tone and posture of God in Romans 2, 4, when he says, It is the kindness of God 
that leads us to the change point, to repentance, of turning from what is inferior and hurts us to what is right and best and we are convinced is good. It's kindness. And then a few chapters later in Romans 8, Paul says, because of Jesus there is no condemnation. He doesn't say there is only a little condemnation. He doesn't say there's just enough condemnation to make you feel the pain so you'll want to change. No, he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who have received the forgiveness of God, know and follow Jesus. So don't equate the condemnation of guilt God, even if you learned it in church, with the Christian God. And if you rejected it, that rejection is a great choice because the Christian God wants to lead you past that guilt to free you of it so that your obedience and correction can be born out of the sense of feeling deeply loved, accepted, and blessed by the kindness of God. Another God that often causes people to jump the fence, and this is the last one we're going to deal with today, is the blind faith anti-science God where you've been forced to choose between undisputed, undeniable science and God. See, some of you thought, look at all the changes in religion over the years, and you're asking me to deny undeniable science in favor of blind faith in your religious views? And the anti-science God tends to trumpet that call to blind faith. But faith isn't blind at all. Now, the truth is, the childhood Sunday school God that you grew up probably can't be fully reconciled with science. But, but listen, there's good news. The God or science is a false dichotomy, a false narrative. A secular naturalists try to say that since we can theoretically one day explain everything given enough science and time, then that explains God away. We don't need him. Now, think about that. We just had to upgrade all of our iPhones because some of them broke. And I long for the day when you could just spend $25 a month on your phone bill and have a phone the last 30 years. Does anybody else long for that? Uh, just, can we just have, go back to that someday, at least for cost? So here, here, here's an iPhone. Some of you are smart enough to figure out how absolutely everything in this phone works, from the construction to the design to the materials used to all of the inner technical workings. I'm not that smart, but some of you are. So the, you could get to the point where absolutely nothing is unexplainable, nothing is mysterious about this phone. Because you understand everything, does that make the conclusion logical that no one made this phone? It doesn't, does it? See, it's not the unexplainable. It's not the blind mystery that is the primary basis of proving God. It's what we know that points to God that is the bedrock of our Christian faith. What the Christians have historically believed is God created the world and everything in it. And as we discover more about how the world works, we actually discover more about who made it. And when we honestly study both science and theology, we often see what was considered absolutely proven in science years ago being contradicted now. What scientists knew a couple hundred years ago was based on reasonable explanation of what they saw based on the technology and the understanding they had then. But after further discovery, that has changed what they believe about that. In fact, in some of the instances, what they believed back then has been proven to be completely wrong, even though back then it was proven 
science. So science also grows and changes, and our best explanations grow and change with more discovery. We don't ever have to be afraid that we have to choose one over the other. Nor do we have to force the Bible to be more scientific than it is. It was not primarily written as a scientific manual. A lot of the great names that sparked actually the modern scientific revolution were devout Christians who pursued science because of loving to discover who God was in discovering the creation. If we really believe God created the entire universe out of nothing, that there was some sort of singularity event in which all time, space, and manner began, however that may have occurred, if we believe that God put all the laws of science into working order in creation and then rested, as Scripture says, then what is our belief, what does our faith rest upon? It rests upon a predictable, stable, explainable universe. It rests upon what we can know from history, both ancient history and current history, about who God is. Our faith rests upon a biblical record of God's patient interaction with humanity over thousands of years. Our faith rests upon a real historical person, Jesus, the incarnate Son of God who came and lived among us. And all that he still does today in our world. See, if you jump the fence and you distance yourself from God or the church because of a rejection of the blind faith anti-science God, then kudos to you for leading the way in rejecting a grossly inadequate, unbiblical, unchristian explanation for proving God exists and for defining what faith is. Go ahead and come on up, worship team, as we close. See, we were all told something about who God was by somebody. And some of them were appropriate ways of explaining truth to us as children, but they're not full enough truth to deal with the entire reality we need to deal with when we grow up and understand the world as adults. Just, just like if someone asked you the question, how are, how are babies made? Your, your answer would be very different, right? If it was a three-year-old asking as opposed to a 12 or 15-year-old asking. And if a med student was asking, your answer would be very different still from those. What you tell them at each phase is not a lie, but it does need to grow, doesn't it? If you were in a church that didn't allow you or help you to get grown-up answers to your adult questions of God, and you jump the fence to distance yourself from God as a result of that. I am so sorry the church left you in that place. But I also want to invite you not to stay there in rejecting God. Because more than likely, even from listening to this message today, you've realized that what you rejected is actually not the Christian God at all. I hope that this series allows you to begin to have hope that there is another way there is a different way that you can pursue God and deal with all that concept and come to a great faith. For some of you, honestly, you jumped the fence and went away from Christianity mainly because you didn't want to wrestle with what you knew would be some of the moral wrestlings that you would have to do with in your life if you really took seriously your faith. And, and you chose not to challenge your childhood faith because it was more fun to just avoid it in your mind and not face it. 
and yet you still find yourself doubting faith, rejecting much of what you understand as Christianity. And even in that, you still, you still have these questions. You still have a wondering and a longing for more. I want to invite you into a process of getting adult answers to the adult questions of life and growing, finding faith that is powerful enough to reorient everything about your life with meaning. For all of us, I want to invite us to, through this series, to step over the fences between us and other people and to find those areas where we need to actually follow some people who have rejected certain things in Christianity. We need to reject them too. We need to grow in our own faith. And we need to set up a place where the fences are beginning to be removed so that we can just join together in all of our versions of where we're at and let God lead us all to more real and deep faith. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we just ask that you would come and do that. We recognize our, our limited minds and our limited capacities. And, and Lord, I, I look at some of the things we talked about today and I realize that even, even now, today, knowing better, I still fall into some of those things where I start to put up walls between me and you because I, I choose to see you wrongly instead of for who you are. I pray for all of us that you would help us move past that so that we could experience the kindness, the no condemnation, the empowerment, the, the help in time of need, the, the, the comfort to take us through the difficulty in life and the, and the joy of you bringing us through things better and better in each area of our life. And Lord, would you make us as a people, people who help others around us, our friends and our neighbors who have rejected you for wrong reasons, frankly, for reasons that, that, that don't even describe who you really are, and that you would help us learn to pray and to care and to have conversations that would invite our friends, our family, and our neighbors to all of who you are and all of the goodness and the kindness that you want to bring. So Lord, even now as we, as we turn our hearts to worship and respond to you, would you just, even through these words of this song, help us, help us receive you and help us turn our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants you to know him. Not for what you think he is, not for what other people have told you he is. He wants you to learn from each other because all of us can help each other grow, but he wants you to know him. If you're here today and you, you've never known God, it's always been a construct, it's always been an idea, it's always been one of those things we listed today, and you want something different, then I want to invite you to just stick around and come down and talk to one of our prayer people afterwards and just, just have them pray with you and, and talk you through that. With that in mind, prayer team, come on down. Next week we're going to talk about the Bible told me so, God. If you've been told a lot of things about the Bible that you feel like, man, they just don't seem to match up with reality, I want to invite you back to another week where you might begin to see some hope for how the Bible can be this vital, beautiful thing in your life of God speaking to you and leading you into a great place in your life. Invite your friends. Invite them to show up on Facebook if they can't come in person. Thank you to all of you who invited people today. God bless. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. 
If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.